Welcome to the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman, where we make sure your life will be changed for the better, one idea at a time. Rabbi Friedman is the number one voice of clarity on moral and social issues. So what are we waiting for? Let's go change the world. There is so much we can do to make this world a kind of better, happier place. There is so much we can do to change the world. If you want to support It's Good to Know and the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. In this episode, Rabbi Manus Friedman talks to Sarah Hannah Silverstein about her new book, Moodtopia. How is your book, your new book, what is it called? My new book is called Moodtopia, and it's got a lot of information to help you be in control of your mood so your moods don't control you and overtake you. It's pretty much like uh, impulse control or something? Um, I'd call it more preventative care, like if you're going to a PTA meeting and you're not going to be so thrilled with what the teacher or the Rebbe has to say, maybe you can take a little skull cap, which we'll talk about, so you're not as nervous or agitated. Um, if you haven't been on a date for a really long time with your husband and you had a really hard day and you want to just kind of get over it and get into a good mood, herbs can really help you do that. So it's preventative medicine. It's being one step ahead of those moods. So it's mood control through natural herbs. Yes, we, we, could, we could begin by saying that. Yes, absolutely. You know, I always joke with people that, you know, when smoking became very popular, if you think about it, they would inhale and then exhale. What were they doing? They were deep breathing. You know, there was so much agitation that that was what was available to people in the past was smoking, which actually calmed them down. I mean, now we know smoking is not safe. But there are a lot of other tools that people can have when life throws them difficult challenges. And that difficult challenge could be just going to the store and shopping. So make, make believe you're smoking will help you breathe better. That's one angle. But when I started learning about meditation and breathing, it all kind of made sense. But obviously, that was not the right tool that people had. So how, how does it work scientifically? How can an herb change your mood? Well, medications work on the dopamine and serotonin in the brain. And as studies are coming out slowly, they're showing that herbs can have the same effect. And if our cortisol levels are really high, just living in the world as we are today, um, high cortisol levels will exacerbate and make normal moods seem bigger than they are. So a lot of herbs work on the central nervous system and lower the cortisol levels. So I give an example all the time. If I'm going to make up a number now, let's just say 300 cortisol level is your point where you really feel out of control and feel really stressed and you're living at 250, the smallest things are going to get you. Whereas if you can drop your cortisol levels down to maybe 150, then the little incidents that happen in life are not going to put you to that point where you feel like you can't cope. And herbs can do that. We'll talk about other things besides herbs. Herbs, aromatherapy, breathing. So people that live with high cortisol levels, they need to do daily practices of bringing those levels down, and they'll cope better. 
So bringing down the level of the cortisol actually changes your personality? It can change your reaction to things, not your personality. If you're loud and obnoxious or you're shy and quiet, take Nothing your- will help. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to change that. But, you know, if, for instance, um, you're going away for a weekend and you want to be in a calmer place and you have to go through the airports and you're bringing a lot of kids with you and, you know, you're creating a new environment in a hotel that you're in, you don't want to scream at everybody around you. You may want to on your inside. And, you know, you can sometimes do some mental exercises to not scream, but herbs will actually calm you down and let you not feel as agitated. And that's why I love them. So give us an example. An example would be that if all your kids are coming home from school at 420 and they've been in schools that are a little repressive and they've had to sit in desks and not exercise enough and you know the kids are going to come in and be terrors and running around like maniacs and destroying your house taking some skull cap which i have here to show you taking an herb like skull cap um in a little bit of water diluted maybe 20 minutes before they come home will let you not have the strong reactions that you may feel inside of you calms you down what do you give them? <laughs> them I would give lemon balm. I would spray some lavender in the house. Absolutely. So one thing about skullcaps that's amazing, skullcap is one of my favorite herbs for nervousness and agitation is I was in upstate New York and there was a little boy who was scared of the mosquitoes, really scared of the mos mosquitoes. He was about five and every morning his brothers and sisters would run out and play and he would sit there behind the screen door just crying and sobbing and he wouldn't even let his mother leave the house because he didn't want to be out so i said let's give some skull cap so we gave him some skull cap and the first day he didn't at least cry as much and the second day he walked out on the porch and by the third day he was out there playing with the mosquitoes so his cortisol levels and his agitation was so high that he couldn't even work out intellectually that these mosquitoes were okay and they weren't going to bite him and one or two mosquito bites isn't the end of the world. And no matter how much the mother discussed this with him, because his agitation was so high, he couldn't get through it. And he had a great summer and his mother just got into the habit of giving skullcap every morning and I think it was a great tool for her. Would apis, homeopathic apis, have had the same effect? No, because... The of mosquitoes... Apis is, in my experience, for those puncture wounds that swell or any swelling in the body. So I don't know that apis per se would work on the mind at that point. So it's good for the mosquito bite, but not for the mosquito. Yes. Although I love letum even more for a mosquito bite. Um, I like apis a lot more for things like um, cysts on ovaries and internal organs that have growths on them. Apis works beautifully. Where did the name Skullcap come from? Um, it's a Latin name, and I don't know the answer, but that's a great question. But it's in the mint family, and it's a very gentle herb. It's safe for people that are pregnant and breastfeeding and kids and geriatrics. It's one of those herbs. You can drink it in tea form. I find with my clients and the people I work with, nobody sits down and puts their feet up and have a tea, and that's why I use them in tincture form. Tincture form is when you take an herb 
and you put grain alcohol over it. Here, I have an herb. I'm going to grab one and show you. So this is the herb lavender, and we all know about the essential oil of lavender, but you can also take it internally in herb form. So I would take the herb like this. I would pour grain alcohol over it. I would let it sit for six to eight weeks. Then I would strain it, and I would have a medicine in tincture form, and that's what I suggest people take. Do you know um, the doctrine of signatures? Yes. Can you, can you tell us about that a little bit? The doctrine of signatures is, for instance, how walnuts look very much like the brain, and studies have shown that the oils of the walnut actually help um, with the brain. So herbalists, um, first of all, when herbalists were learning about herbs, they would look at the way animals use them naturally. They would see, like, for instance, um, goats would be attracted to an herb called goat's rue. Um, the name, I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg with the name. But that would increase their ability to produce milk. So people would sit and look at the different way, the, the plants that birds and animals would um, partake of and figure it out. And then there was the signatures of looking at what the plant looked like and making that correlation to the body. So, so the almond looks like, I mean, the uh, walnut looks like a brain. Yes. What, what other? Oh my gosh, you, you caught me. I have to think about it. That's not where my forte is, but it, you can look that up online and it is very fascinating. I remember reading something about a certain leaf that has veins with a red liquid in it? Well, we use a, a, a plant called plantain, which has veins in it, and it does help heal any kind of vein issues. And um, we also use that as a Band-Aid. It's called the green Band-Aid. And you can, when you're out hiking, if you get a cut or a scrape, you can take a plantain leaf, break it down with your fingers, put it over it, and it won't get infected. But that is not my forte, but there are herbalists that speak only about that. I'm in my practice more concerned about what the studies show of the herbs and how herbs work on women, men, and children. Uh, what, about, what about the psychological um, controlling of mood by, by becoming more mature, a little wisdom, a little self-control, um, that's really great. But when people are sleep deprived, haven't eaten enough, sometimes your intellect goes out the window and um, bad things happen to good people and bad things can be just getting a flat tire and missing a very important appointment. Bad things can be as you're leaving two of your kids get their cereal all over them. Um, <clears throat> which is very frustrating. So I believe that people can and need to learn intellectually how to control their moods. But I, I've experienced after 26 years and working with over 25,000 women that they like to have little tools in their back pocket. And these tools are not just placebo, they really work. So some women have really difficult, challenging times when they have their cycles before their cycles, during their cycles, after their cycles. And it is a hormonal imbalance, but they can still be very fertile and have a lot of children, so they're in a healthy state. And if you take an herb like motherwort, which I have over here, let me grab. Hold on. An herb like motherwort 
can help push aside that black cloud. Motherwort can really um, help you feel more balanced when your body is in an imbalanced state. So I don't think, you know, I question positive affirmations, you know, like you can sit in front of the mirror and say, I'm gorgeous and I'm strong and I'm wonderful. And, and you're like having the worst day of your life. And the answer is no, that's not true. So if you still have to function taking some motherwort for that gloominess and you can mix it in the same cup with some skull cap from agitation will have a chemical reaction in your body. And I don't think Rabbi Friedman that that's weakness. I think that's intelligence to know what's going on. For instance, there's an herb called oats. Oats is not like oatmeal. It's made from fresh milky oats. I have that here also. And oats are when people have um, burnt both candles. They've just been maybe doing too much chesed. They're having too many guests in their house. They're really, you know, doing lots of charity work. Like they're the really good neighbors and they're just burnt and overwhelmed. Um, you can intellectually say like, okay, I'm doing good deeds. So I shouldn't, you know, be feeling grumpy now. But if you take an herb like oats, it really helps calm and cool the central nervous system. And I think that's a strength to know that you need to take some oats. And then you can tell yourself to calm down because now yeah. you're listening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is there, is there a signature for the motherwort? The motherwort is such a gorgeous plant. I, I would have brought pictures for you of these plants. Um, <clears throat> there's an herb in your book. Um, no, I don't talk about the signatures. I talk about the effects of colors, which we can definitely discuss. Um, but there is, an, there is a woman who has a wonderful herb garden, and she takes her clients just on a walk through the garden. And she doesn't tell them anything about the herbs. And she says that nine and a half out of ten times, women and men pick the plants that their body needs. So... When you look at plants, which I don't have pictures of, that we can do that with our next session, um, plants have colors of white flowers, purple flowers, yellow flowers, white flowers, and there's no research to, at this point done on do the colors of the flowers affect our moods. But we see um, a lot of common threads. For instance, chamomile flower is yellow. Lemon balm, the flower is yellow. They're both safe for people of all ages. It calms you down and relaxes you without having you have that hungover or drugged feeling. So there's an herb called blue vervain, which is a blue vibrant purple color. And that's for severe um, panic and agitation. And so that intensity of that color, in my, feel, in my opinion, helps with that intensity of that emotion that's going on. Are you talking to Debbie Gordon about this? Actually, I interviewed her in my book. And I have a whole chapter on the effects of color and mood. And we know there's tons of studies now on how colors affect your emotions in the way that you feel. There's a story in my book about a big football team and what the football coach did was he painted the visiting team's locker room pink. 
And they flipped out about it. Like, cause pink is so soothing and calming and you know, it's kind of like a more feminine color. And he felt that he could make them more sedate and less aggressive just by sticking them in that pink room. So I do talk in my book a lot about wearing colors that make you feel good, having a scarf that makes you feel good, wearing nail polish in a color that makes you feel good. Because when you are challenged emotionally, and I don't care how self-actualized you are, how, how high IQ or how smart you are, um, moods can overtake us. Um, fear, sadness, frustration, anger, um, melancholy. And people feel better when they have a, a beautiful color around them. Why fight your environment? Or create an environment that helps you um, be in control of your mood so they don't control you. You know, um, getting angry at something is wonderful because usually without that, that strength, that impetus of that anger, it's really hard to make change. Like if everything's like, okay, it is what it is. Gamsla you know, it is what it is. Okay. I mean, that's great. And they probably have lower cortisol levels and don't need herbs as much. But those are not the people that are making changes. The people that are making changes are the people that get angry. Like I tell a story. I live in the Hollywood Hills in the summers. And my, there was a corner where there was a near accident almost every day. It was a really dangerous corner. So my mother was angry. Every time she would drive us in a carpool, she'd get angry. So one day she got up and she called the city and said, we need a stop sign there. And they said, no problem, go get a petition and get, you know, a thousand signatures and we'll do it. And my mother, with her anger, went up and down the streets, knocked on every door, and that stop sign is there now and there's no accidents anymore. So if she didn't have that anger, she wouldn't have made that change. But that anger could also give her an ulcer. It could also give her a migraine. It could give her TMJ. It could give her a stiff neck. So that's a time where you want the energy of the anger, but you don't want the negative effects on your body. And that's when you can take herbs to still have that energy that, that you need to make change, but not let it um, affect you in a negative way physically. That sounds very good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking most people would be asking, what have you got for guilt? <laughs> for guilt. I think, <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that, Freeman. So I don't know that I would give something for guilt, but I would be asking more, what does that do to you physically? Like, does it give you a pain in your stomach? Then there's an herb called Meadowsweet, which is calming and will help you relax. If you get muscle pain from it, I have the herb here that I wanted to discuss. I have... Um, an herb called kava. Kava is a wonderful muscle relaxant. So if that person felt guilty and was tense like this and had muscle pain, then kava would be a wonderful addition to their lives. Now, in the Philippines, where kava is very, very common, I mean, you can go to bars and instead of ordering a beer or a whiskey, you can order kava kava. And when they do meetings, when they do mediation meetings between two companies, they serve kava. Because kava relaxes the muscles, relaxes all that tension, and they find that negotiations work better. So 
I love kava as a muscle relaxant. People can take it before they go to sleep. Um, I don't know that I would take it first thing in the morning, but certainly when you get home from work or from your busy day. Um, but if someone had muscle tension from their guilt, then kava's going to help them a lot. Is agrimony? Agrimony is a good herb. It's not necessarily an herb for the mind. But it makes you more reasonable? I suppose it could. It's not one of the plants in the repertory that I use. So uh, tell us a little more about your book. How, what is it, what so does it offer? Show you the cover. This is my book, Moodtopia. And it is available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all over the internet. Wow. And the book does talk about herbs and essential oils, and it goes herb by herb, and it tells a little story about a person experience with that herb so it's not clinical it talks about someone um you know who was very sad um and depressed on the inside but on the outside she was very smiley and looked like everything was okay and she had a lot of nerve pain from her sadness and mother um saint john's wort was a perfect herb for her so i talk about herbs and i give stories so it's not so clinical i go through all the essential oils available and i talk about their historical and clinical use. I discuss how to use essential oils. And then I go through the importance of color. I talk about feng shui, which is very interesting because feng shui is creating an environment um, where you feel healthy and where good energy um, exists. So feng shui um, was discovered in China or developed in China. And um, it talks about how to set up your home so that you don't get aggravated or moody and energy blocks. And what's very interesting, I was speaking at a woman's group, Rabbi Friedman, and I was talking about feng shui and it was a group of Jewish women and I didn't want them to be nervous that feng shui was not okay um, with um, being a, a Jewish person. And this woman came over to me and she said, the base on Migdash is in perfect proportions of feng shui. That she was an interior designer, she studied feng shui, and she did the angles and the way the base of Migdash was set up, and it was completely in sync with feng shui. So who started feng shui really? But for instance, if your door handles on your house are shaky, and it's hard to open the door, You'll have a trouble. You'll have trouble having a handle on your life, or that's frustration. Like if every time you have to go in and out of a door, it's stuck, then you're going to be frustrated. <clears throat> if every time you walk into a room, there's a couch in the way, then subconsciously you're going to be like, "Oh, that couch is in my way," and that can then make you scream at your husband, who's going to then scream at your kids, and then you're going to pick up the phone and yell at a neighbor. So. Having your house in, an, in, in a way that's clutter-free and um, is beautiful to look at. For instance, another feng shui thing is that, and I don't have feng shui behind me, I apologize for that, but another feng shui is when you have a mirror in your house, it should reflect a beautiful bouquet of flowers or a live living plant. So when you look in the mirror, even if you're like, oh, I'm having a horrible day, you see this beautiful image to your side, it can make you feel a little bit better. So I speak all about- Something beautiful is in the mirror. 
exactly. It's not me. <laughs> thing, right. So and the doctrine of signatures. Doctrine of signatures. So when you make your home stress free or you don't want any leaky faucets, um, you don't want doors that are sticky, you don't want drawers that don't pull in and out. Um, because that can add that frustration. And don't forget, it's like the little frustration, the little frustration, the little frustration until you explode. So in Feng Shui, we want your home to be as smooth flowing as possible, easy to find things, easy to find your spices. Like if you're late for cooking a meal and you're like, where's that garlic powder? Where's that garlic powder? If it's easy to get, then it's going to make it easier for you and make you less frustrated. So I talk about that in the book also. That makes me think of the punishment for certain sins, is that you reach into your purse to get a coin, and you get the wrong coin, and you have to reach in again. Yeah. So how much of a punishment is that? But if it can ruin your day, is there any part of Feng Shui that is not kosher? Like it's going too far, superstition, business? Um, I think that as it developed, people made it into more than it was. And I spent hours and hours and days and days, oh, too much of my time reading about the original Feng Shui when it was developed. And I'm going to tell you when it was developed, and you're going to love it. And you're going to see, because it had no religious overtones. So let's say you were given a plot of land, and you had to build a house. So you would want to make sure that you planted your garden where there was the most amount of sun available. You wanted to make sure that when you opened your front door in the winter, it wasn't at the angle where cold, cold wind came in. And you wanted to make sure that in the summers you had a room that could capture as much sun as possible. So when Feng Shui was first spoken about it was about taking the environment and making it work for you like if you had to carry up water from from the stream you would want to make sure that where you keep your water stored is the shortest distance so feng shui originally um originally began in a way to make your environment um safe and to use um the atmosphere as much as possible. What is, what is this thing about if a staircase um, faces the front door? Right. The nozzle runs out the door, is that? Right, so they do, they have all of these things and from my research, it's not against Yiddishkeit at all. Um, you know, for my book, um, I didn't believe that my readers of Moodtopia were going to be building homes from scratch. So my book really focused in more of creating the environment that you have. Like when you live in New York or LA or in big cities, you can't really choose your homes. You kind of like, this is all I can afford. And you know, okay, I'm just gonna take it. But once we have these environments, how do we make them as positive and less stressful as possible? That's where I was going with my book. So there are people, you know, in Japan and in other places, they don't build buildings without consulting a feng shui specialist. I just don't think that that's where my main readership is. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> but it's creating our environment, choosing the colors that's going to um, 
make you feel as good as possible. Like in feng shui, they don't want you to have pictures of your family in your bedroom. They prefer pictures of plants and flowers because you could be sitting there in your bedroom and all of a sudden you see a picture of your son and all of a sudden you're worried, oh my gosh, he's losing his job. He doesn't have enough money. How am I going to help him find a job? Or you could have a picture of your daughter who just went through something frustrating. So in Feng Shui, if you want to have a good night's sleep, you want to not be thinking of the challenges that your family's having. I mean, in your living room, in your kitchen, you can have tons of pictures of your family, but they shouldn't be in your bed room environment because that's a place where you need to sleep and rejuvenate. I mean, they're very into keeping the bathroom door closed, keeping the toilet seat down. I'm going to tell you something that'll blow your mind. If you keep your toilet seat up in your bathroom and you flush, bacteria comes out and goes all over your toothbrush and all over your hairbrush and all over your soap bar. So it's very important for being healthy to keep your toilet seat down. So Feng Shui knew about this a long time ago. They wanted to make sure that bathrooms were covered. The bathrooms were not by the kitchen because that was a place where you took off all the excess stress and dirt from the day. Interesting. Anything about broken vessels or? Yes, broken yes, there is. Yeah, you're not supposed to have any broken vessels in the house. If your flowers start to wilt, they're supposed to be out. And you're not supposed to have any broken vessels in your homes because you want to eat out of a clean um, uh, 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 bowl that doesn't have any chips on it. So if something chips or breaks, you're supposed to just get rid of it. I mean, of course, if you can fix it, fix it. But no, you're supposed to get rid of it. It should not be in your home. Makes a lot of sense. They also don't want to mess under your bed. And they don't want food under your bed. Sound familiar? Mm -hmm. They don't want, because they say that energy, when your soul leaves your body, it needs to come back into a clean environment, not a messy environment. So if you must keep things under your bed, it should be in boxes that are organized and well-labeled. Such an organized soul. Well, I think that the more organized... Uh, a person that has a propensity towards stress, a propensity towards sadness, that struggles with being in control of their moods, the, the more organized their environment is, the less little triggers. And that's what I look for with my clients that do struggle. So what do people do living in Brooklyn with eight kids and three bedrooms? They haven't got a chance. You know... One of the reasons I wrote this book, many reasons, was Rabbi Friedman. I had a woman in my office. <clears throat> she was the sweetest, most respectful. If she was late, she'd always call. If she had to cancel her appointment, she gave me 72 hours notice. Um, she was amazing. So sweet with her kids. And she came to me once and her kids were out of the office using the bathroom. And she whispers to me, I'm the worst mother. I, my kids should be taken away from me. I was like, you were going to be given the mother of the award for, for the month. You're, you're, you're a superstar. And she said, if you knew what was going on in my mind, like my place is too small, too crowded. It's so hard to organize it. I'm such a bad mom. 
And I said to her, no, you're a great mom. And all these feelings that you're having are normal, 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 normal. She said, but I don't want to feel those. So we spent a lot of time talking about how she could organize a very cluttered small space. And she took some herbs and she really felt more in control. I mean, when you're in a very small environment in Brooklyn, you have to let go a lot. But that doesn't mean that it can't be organized or every free minute can be. It means that there needs to be hooks for everybody's backpack, a little bag where they can put their shoes when they walk in the house, a hook above it for their hat, gloves, and jacket. And kids can be taught that. You know, it's so funny because I was doing a class on um, breastfeeding, and I am not such an advocate of sleep training. Um, and there was another woman kind of the other end of the spectrum, and she was all about sleep training. And we really love each other, and we speak together a lot, even though we're two completely different philosophies. And she said, to, she said in the class, she said, you know, if you teach a child that every time a Shabbos guest walks through the door, you go over and slap their leg, and, and, and they think that's normal, like that's what you do then that child will go over and slap that, that guest leg. Now, obviously, that's not what we want to do. But she was showing that you can teach kids and train them a lot more than you think. So we spoke in the beginning. You can't change their personality. One kid could have an exuberant personality. The next one could be a grump. The next one could complain all the time. The next one could be a jokester. But all those kids can learn to walk in the door put their backpack on a hook, put their jacket on a hook. And even if you have to take their hand, they can learn that. And if women have the strength and husbands to teach that to their children, they're going to, they're going to be calmer and be more in control of their moods. It doesn't mean the house has to be perfect, but it means that everything should have a place. And women in the morning that have eight children in this tiny apartment, when they're running around looking for their kids' shoes, there is no way once they get all those kids on the bus that they're going to be in a good mood. There's no way. But if in the morning they have their shoes readily available, that's one less stress. If the mother can really discipline herself and put snacks in all the eight backpacks the night before with a little note with a smiley face saying, I love you, in those backpacks, she needs to do it no matter how tired she is the night before and the morning's going to go smoother. It's all about pre prevention. Like you and I spoke in the beginning. You know, you said, what are these herbs for? And I said, prevention, prevention. It's the same thing with setting up your feng shui house properly. It's preventing so you're not agitated. What else can we hope to get from the book? So I talk about the cycle of sanity. And the cycle of sanity is um, that difficult things happen to us all the time. And in my experience, that aha uh -huh moment, that moment of, oh, that's why my husband's like that, or now I get why my child's having trouble in school, or whoa, that's why my neighbor's been so nasty. Those aha uh -huh moments are what really give us pleasure. So I talk about the cycle of sanity where you know a frustration will happen and then most people's reactions are either they're sad or angry or not sure how to handle it. And they go around this cycle and all of a sudden they have that aha moment and they know how to problem solve. So I like people to start to understand that when 
Hashem challenges us. Um, it may be so difficult and so painful in the moment, but, you know, there's that famous statement, this too shall pass. So I don't think we should be passive waiting for these things to pass. But if we open our eyes and observe how things are unfolding, you'll then see why that had to happen and the good that comes out of it. So in the book, that's in my book. Yeah. It's in my book, Moodtopia. So besides herbs and essential oils, I have some really um, easy tips. Can I give you another tip from Moodtopia? So here's the story. There was a study done with two groups of people and they were given comics to look at. And one group of people took a pen and put it in their mouth like this to hold it in place and viewed the comics and they had to rate them on a scale of one to 10 as to whether they were humorous or not. The next group took a pen, not a pair of glasses and put it in their mouth like this and they had to rate the comics. So what they found in this study, and it's been repeated and it always turns out like this. When you make a fake smile, even if it's withholding a pen, you see humor in a better light. You see things as funnier. When you make your mouth in more of a frown, you see things in a more negative way. So in my book, I have a whole chapter that's called Fake It. And studies show that when you fake a smile, even if you're not happy, that you lower your cortisol levels and you get more of an oxytocin rush, which is the good chemical rush. So if you're having a really bad day, which all of us have, and you just, when you go through your day, just kind of smile at people, you'll project better energy. People usually respond better. I mean, in New York, they're gonna say, she's a nut job, she's smiling at me. But in the rest of the world, if you smile randomly at people, <clears throat> and it can change the chemical reactions in your brain. Studies show that when women get Botox, and they paralyze a lot of the muscles around the lips, and they can't smile as broadly, that they tend to get more depressed, more melancholy, and do not respond to joy as well. So I talk about a lot of different ways to fake it, because your body's chemicals, even if you're faking it, respond in a positive way. So smiling at people. I mean, if you're going through rough times and, and, and the universe is just not throwing things your way and you just randomly smile at people and take some herbs, you're going to drop your cortisol levels and you're going to be more in control of your moods. Chapter should be called How to Hold a Pen in Your Mouth. <laughs> but I also talk about laughter. And in Japan, they have um, what is called, and all over the world now, um, laughter yoga. And you go to this class and you do these yoga positions, and the whole goal is to laugh. Now, you don't have to be in a good mood, and it can be total fake laughter. But what happens is one person laughs, and you're like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever done. And the room starts laughing. And when they studied people's blood pressures before and after laughter yoga, after laughter, induced laughter, their, um, their heart rate was lower, their blood pressure was lower, and their cortisol levels were lower. So even if you're not in a great mood you can try to fake laugh and i want to share one more amazing thing with you about my book um 
I don't know if you know this, um, Robert Friedman, do you know that there's three kinds of fluids that come out of our eyes? Did you ever hear this? There's fluid in your eyes to clean your eyes. Just generally when you blink, it cleans your eyes. And then there's another fluid that's elicited when you get something in your eye and you start tearing and trying to push something out of your eye. But the tears when you're sad and crying are filled with cortisol, Rabbi Friedman. So when you do a great cry, you drop your cortisol levels. So in certain parts of the world, they have cry groups where you go and watch a really sad movie and then everybody talks about how bad their life is and how challenging and everybody just cries and sobs and you walk out feeling more in control of your moods and you actually feel better. So these are important tools. Why do I discuss these tools, Robert Friedman? Because I love therapy and I love talk therapy and everybody should have a, have a mashpia mentor and everybody should talk to someone. But you can have people that have been in therapy for 20 years and nothing gets better. Nothing gets better. I mean, you know, they're still around, same problems with their husband, same problems with their kids, same problems. So I'm not against talk therapy, but sometimes we need to do things from the outside and not just get stuck in our brains because when we just talk about things, sometimes it doesn't always resolve. But if we take some herbs, smell in some aromatherapy, fake smile, do random acts of kindness, make sure we laugh every day, even if nothing's funny, then our chemical bodies will be different and we'll be able to change and be more in control of our moods. See, I always suspected that there was something wrong with people who do yoga so seriously or jog with such a serious attitude, like, you know, life and death issue. Yes. Where are the smiles? Yeah, yeah. Where, where's, where's the fun? Exercise is important. And, you know, having fun and um, trying to laugh and do random acts of kindness um, doesn't mean that you're not serious about the world. Do you know what I mean? I think if you include these things in your life, you're even more serious about your world because we are we all are energetic beings and we give out energy whether we want to or not and we receive energy. Um, I do speak in the book about how to create a protective bubble so we don't have to receive all the negative energy. But even if you're having a hard life and a hard day, that doesn't mean that you can't go do a random act of kindness, which lowers cortisol levels, increases oxytocin, you have lower heart rate, um, you have lower blood pressure, and you have better oxytocin just by random acts of kindness. But just by doing those acts with even a fake smile will radiate good energy. And when you radiate good energy, you will get back good energy. So... I tell my clients all the time, Rabbi Friedman, that, you know, if you want to be good at baking challah, you need to practice over and over and over again. If you want to be a good ballerina, you have to practice over and over again. If you want to be good at reading, you need to practice over and over again. So if you want to be in better moods and be in control of your moods, you have to practice. Yes, it's true. Some people's disposition is just nice and sweet and gentle, for sure. Some people, that's their easy thing in life. But for like 95% of the rest of us, like you have to work at it. It's, it's not like 
like things shouldn't affect your mood. You should be able to present um, your good mood even when challenging things are happening. And it takes practice. You need to work on it. It's daily practices. It's being conscious. It's being, it's being self-aware. Takes work. It's not easy, but it's doable. And I find with my clients um, that do struggle with depression and have been on medicines and can't get out of their ruts, or people that you know lose loved ones and can't get out of that stuck sadness. Um, these things are real, and and they really should be angry and depressed. I mean, they have every reason in the world, but they can't live their lives like that. And when we do some herbs and breathe in some essential oils and do some daily practices that are not just positive affirmations, um, they start to get out of their ruts. And that's really exciting. You know, in Chinese medicine, we don't want stuck energy. So if you get too much congestion in your sinuses, you'll get a sinus infection. It's stuck energy. If you get too much inflammation in your knees or your joints, it's stuck energy and you can get arthritis. So we want things to be fluid and moving all the time. So when people get stuck in that anger, stuck in that depression, stuck in that sadness, it creates, I don't want to say a disease, but it creates a, 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 st a state of not being well. You need to be fluid. You need to be fluid. And, you know, that might mean getting a massage. That may be jogging. That may be taking a walk. But your goal needs to be to acknowledge the mood, know it's there for a reason, know it's real, know it's there to teach you something, but not get stuck in it. Your book is available everywhere? Yes, my book is now available everywhere, Moodtopia. Um, and it's really exciting. It's short um, and sweet and to the point, and it's really easy reading. It, 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 it's, not, it's not difficult to read. It, it's simple and easy, and everyone can gain something from it. Lots of Hatzlocha. Thank you so much, Roy Freeman. I always enjoy talking to you and learning from you. I appreciate all the good work you do and love reading your books and watching your videos. Thank you, thank you. Enjoy your vacation. Thank you so working much. Working vacation. A working vacation. See you That's later. Only good news. If you want to support It's Good to Know in the work of Rabbi Manus Friedman, please visit itsgoodtoknow.org forward slash support to join the community. This is the Ideas That Change the World podcast with Rabbi Manus Friedman. Changing your life for the better, one idea at a time. Like it, share it, and leave us a review. Tune in next week for more ideas that change the world.